Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again today as we look into the Word of God and study the Bible every week here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church from right here in Danville, Kentucky, and we appreciate you tuning in again to the broadcast. As always, we want to invite you to get your Bible open and follow along with us that you might look into the Word of God yourself. We've entitled our program, The Searching the Scriptures Program, based on Acts chapter 17, where the Bible tells us that those that were in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And why were they more noble? What was the nobility about those particular believers? What made the difference? The difference was that the believers in Berea, it says that they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. In other words, the people that were noble were the ones that were searching what they were hearing. And so let me just go ahead and tell you at the outset of the broadcast, as I have told you many times before, Travis Alltop is not the final authority. I'm not the guy that if you like me or don't like me, that really doesn't matter. I'm not here to promote my opinion. My opinion is probably no better than yours. I'm not here to push denominational prejudices or traditions. We're not interested in political persuasions one way or the other. What we are interested in on this program is thus saith the Lord. What did God say? What does the Bible say? If you're a born-again believer, you need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we walk by faith. Well, you can't walk much by faith if you don't know what God says because faith is always based in facts. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So on this program, we want you to hear the Word of God and we want to tell you where we're reading from so you can look it up for yourself. And if you like it or don't like it, really doesn't matter. I didn't write the Bible. I'm just here to report it to you. I'm just the messenger. But I can tell you that this book will do a work in your heart. This book will lead you and guide you. It says it's, it's a light unto our feet, and a, lamp, a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. You need this blessed old book. And I realize that the spirit of the age has raised up a generation and is quickly turning a society against this book, but it's still the word of God. And brother, it's going to stand when the, uh, when the stars fall, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24, verse 35, he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So we thank God for the word of God. This week, we're going to be back in Luke chapter 23. If you've been listening to us the last few weeks, you've heard us preaching and teaching through the seven sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins And he became the Lamb of God and sacrificed himself on the cross as our representative and as our substitute to make salvation possible for sinners like me and you. And we've looked at the first six sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ so far in our study. And today we'll come to the last one, the seventh saying. But the first six sayings contained a prayer for his murderers. Jesus began the day around 9 o'clock when he was crucified and nailed to the cross. He started by saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was praying for his uh, executionists, his uh, executioners. They were crucifying him and those that had uh, manipulated the Roman government to have him crucified. He was praying for them and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Secondly, we see him making provision for his dear mother who was standing by the cross there with the apostle John when Jesus said, uh, woman, behold thy son. And he said, uh, behold thy mother. 
And clearly John understood what Jesus Christ was saying because from that day forward, John took Jesus' mother Mary into his own home and provided for her. Obviously, Jesus Christ's stepfather Joseph had already died and Jesus was making provision for his dear earthly mother. Thirdly, we see him promising salvation to a repentant thief. When the thief says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, and then turned to Jesus Christ on that middle cross, and he cried out to him, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That uh, repentance that was evidenced that day, and that faith that was evidenced through that prayer, Jesus Christ responded to by saying, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so Jesus not only prayed for his murderers and provided for his mother, but he promised paradise to a repentant thief. Then we see the darkness moves in around 12 o'clock noon that day, and we studied about that. And Jesus Christ suffers in the darkness and desolation silently for three hours. And around the ninth hour, which of course equates to our three o'clock hour, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there is no way for me to preach the unsearchable riches of that statement but clearly it's the cry of a man who has become our representative, a condemned sinner. Listen to me, my friend. Jesus Christ went down under the wrath of God and he stayed there until justice was satisfied. And he suffered for my sins and he suffered for your sins. All the love of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there we see him becoming sin for us and suffering the penalty of our guilt. And he cried out in desolation, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But then we see him triumphantly when the darkness lifts and the cup has been drained, the cup of God's wrath is drained. Christ cries out, I thirst, showing his manhood, his humanity. Listen, that Bible says that Jesus Christ came down. He was uh, rich. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says that by the grace of God, it says, though he were rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. When did Jesus Christ become poor? Well, the Bible says that he was born in a manger, and he was raised by uh, just a normal common carpenter. And listen, they were poor people. And Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, said, The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Listen, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ came down and became poor when he became one of us. He left the glories of heaven where the cherubim and the seraphim run around the throne room crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because the Bible tells us in Micah 5, 2 that the baby that was born in Bethlehem was from old, quote, from everlasting. That baby may have been born in time as a human being, but listen, the God that took on the form of sinful flesh and took upon himself sinful flesh and became a man was the God of all eternity. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. John 1.14 says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is a great mystery, but we believe what the Bible reveals to us. God Almighty became a man and robed himself in flesh and limited himself as a man and therefore uh, God was manifest in the flesh and therefore can be a high priest that can sympathize with us and understand us because he has been in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And listen, he cries out as a man. His fifth cry was, I thirst at the close of all of the suffering that he went through. They offered him vinegar 
And he cries out again with a loud voice, that great triumphant victorious cry, it is finished, letting us know that salvation's work was completely dependent upon the finished uh, accomplishment, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Salvation is not a plan as we sometimes say it. It's a proclamation. It's all accomplished. His death, his blood that was shed has paid for your sins. The question is, will you turn to God and humbly receive him and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your own savior? The Bible says he became sin for us and his blood has paid our ransom. He gave himself a ransom for all. First John chapter 2 tells us that we believers have an advocate with the Father. Now his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. And it says he is the propitiation for our sins. Listen, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You'll find that great truth in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished. There's no more work to be done. There's no more need for a priest or a priestly class of people. There is no more need of an earthly high priest to go behind the veil and present himself in the presence of God once a year for the nation of Israel or for anybody else. The veil was rent from the top to the bottom over there in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus died. And it shows you that the final blood atonement, the only uh, blood atonement that God required had been made. Listen, all through the Old Testament, the Jews under the law would bring an atonement, would make an atonement, an atonement. They constantly had to continue the work because the Bible says that the blood of bulls and goats, that's what they offered in the Old Testament. That's what they sacrificed was animal blood. It says that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But I'll remember what John the Baptist said when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the river Jordan. He cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And listen, when Jesus cried out on the cross and with a loud voice, It is finished. Listen, he had suffered every pang. He had suffered every bit of the wrath of God and poured out his precious life's blood. The divine blood of God poured down the tree that day. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And through his blood, we now have redemption. And listen, he could cry out, it is finished. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, but this man, after having offered one sacrifice for sins forever, did you get that? There's never another sacrifice. You don't need a Roman Catholic mass where they repeat the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's never going to be repeated. That Bible says that this man, Jesus Christ, amen, he came down here and became poor that for our, uh, that we through his poverty might be made rich. He died in our place. And the Bible says he cried out, it is finished. That sixth cry from the cross, which indicates that the blood redemption Uh, is now available. There's nothing more to be done. All you must do is present yourself as a guilty, hell-bound sinner. Admit what you are. Confess to God what you are. And confess to Him that you deserve hell and you're going there unless He does something for you. Salvation is of the Lord. But my friend... The offer is open. The blood has satisfied the wrath of God. The work is finished, just like Jesus Christ cried out. The veil has been torn, and access to God is available. But listen, it must, and it is only available, and it must come through the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his blood. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You must go through Jesus Christ who finished the work. There's nothing more to do. He offered himself a sacrifice to purge our sins. He did it by himself without help from me or you or the Pope or anybody else. And this man, after having offered one sacrifice for sins forever, it says, comma, he sat down on the right hand of God. Now you're either saved or lost. And you know how you'll know? It has to do completely, entirely, not with what church you belong to, not with who baptized you, not in what form you were baptized, not whether or not you do pretty good, not whether your mother thinks you're a good person, because, listen, it's not what you've done. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to God's mercy that he saved us. How does he save sinners? He saves them one way, and that's through the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who cried out his sixth triumphant victorious cry on the cross at around 3 o'clock that afternoon after he had suffered all the wrath of God for me and you. He cried out, It is finished. Boy, we can shout on that, amen. I'm glad to be saved. It's good to be saved. It's good to know that you have peace with God through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. But now today here in Luke 23, we come to the seventh saying. Turn with me there. Luke 23, look in verse 46. Here is the seventh and final cry of our Savior from the cross. After he cries out, it is finished, here's what we read. Luke 23, verse 46. The scripture says, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, that's when he cried, it is finished. It says, and when he had cried with a loud voice, he said this. Here's what he said. Father, into thy hands... I commend my spirit. And having said thus, the Bible says he gave up the ghost. So to give up the ghost means that you die. Now it's very important to understand what death is in the Bible. You know, death is the great enemy that entered in at the fall of man in Genesis 3. The Bible says, for by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed up upon all men for that all have sinned. Listen to me, you cannot explain death apart from the fall of Adam. When our first uh, father, when our first human father, Adam, sinned against God and rebelled against God and, and disobeyed his simple command of don't eat off this tree, when Adam rebelled against that command, that's sin. The transgression of the law is sin. Well, the only law that Adam was given was you can eat off of every tree, but don't eat off this tree. Adam hurt his wife. He was not deceived. He openly, defiantly rebelled against God, sinned against God. And the moment he did, death entered into the picture. And death has steadily cut men down ever since. And listen, wherever you're listening to this broadcast, you could walk out of the building you're in. And I'll bet you could walk. And within a couple of miles of where you're at today, you would find a graveyard. Every graveyard you pass is a reminder to the world that one day, as Bob Jones Sr. often said, one day they're going to put you to bed with a shovel. And every cemetery you passed reminds you that death has reigned since Adam and men fear death. But what is death? Well, death comes to each of us. If the Lord tarries, we'll all face it. 
But in the very first, first book of your Bible, God defines what death is. And can I tell you that it's nothing more than the spirit and soul of a man departing his physical frame, his physical body. You say, where do you get that? I get that from Genesis chapter 35 in verse 16. The first book of the Bible often defines some of the major themes of the Bible, the major doctrines of the Bible. It introduces all of the things that a man would want to know about and very often defines them. And here we find the definitive verse on what death is. Genesis 35 verse 16, the Bible says, and they journeyed from Bethel and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. So here's Rachel. She's about to deliver a child. She's in hard labor. She's travailing. The Bible says, And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. So she's given birth to a baby boy. In verse 18, here's our, here's our definition. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died that she called his name Benoni. Now right there, uh, it defines what death is. It says, when her soul was in departing. Well, we read in Luke 23, verse 46, Jesus Christ dismisses his own spirit. So the spirit and the soul. Man is a spirit, soul, and body. He's a tripart being. And at death, the spirit and the soul depart the body. That's why it's crucial, by the way, that you are saved. You know what gets saved when a man gets born again? His soul is saved and made white as snow. Because Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If you die having never picked up the payment for your sins, having never been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ spiritually, your soul never been having been redeemed by the blood of Christ because you rejected the gospel. Listen, if you die in your sins, you cannot go to heaven and your soul will go to a conscious eternity to a place called hell where they weep and wail and gnash their teeth. But God has not set it up that way. That's why we've been reading about this man, Christ Jesus, who came and tasted death for every man. And here we see in his seventh cry, he cries out, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So at death, your physical body, your soul and spirit depart your physical body. Now we see here Jesus Christ, he dies. Now why is that important? Well, it's important because the Bible says it this way in Hebrews chapter 2. You see, death is the enemy of man. Men fear death. Men that are thinking do not look forward to death. There is a, there is a certain fear and a darkness over that whole subject. But my friend, God has come and he has given and he has torn back the veil to where we can look into eternity and he can show us exactly what death is. And how do we know? Because our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has gone down under the wrath of God and here at the seventh saying on the cross, he dies and gives up the ghost. And the Bible says it this way. It says, but we see Jesus, Hebrews 2, 9, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus Christ, we just read about it. He tasted death for us. He went down through it. He is going to go through death. He just dismissed his spirit. He just released his spirit. He died. He laid his life down. He said so much. Back in John chapter 10, verse 17, he said, No man taketh my life from me. He said, But I lay it down myself. And sure enough, at just the right time, timing means everything to God. Jesus Christ dismisses his spirit. His soul and spirit depart. 
and he tastes death for every man. We have a great captain of our salvation that we can follow. You say, why? Because he has taken on the very thing that man fears. The Bible says this about death. It says, as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, it says, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil uh, antagonized men with death. Did not he say back there in Job, he was talking and reasoning with God, and he said, yea, skin for skin, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Because he, the devil knew he could antagonize men with death in the Old Testament because death carried a, a darkness and a fear over it because no man had gone down into the tomb and then been able to come out three days later like our Lord Jesus Christ did. I'm telling you, there's some great blessings and benefits to live on this side of the cross, on this side of an open tomb and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. The Bible says here that the devil had the power of death and he tormented men with that. In verse 15... Speaking of the deliverance that Jesus Christ brought because he tasted death for every man, it says he <clears throat> will deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Listen, uh, bondage is fear. There is bondage in fear. Men fear death. Many of you listening still fear death. I've heard people say, let's not talk about that. I don't like to talk about dying. But my friend, you may not like to talk about it. And you may think you're too busy to talk about it, but my friend, you're not going to be too busy to die. Death is going to come and it's going to get all of us, uh, amen, that's listening today. As you get older, you feel your body breaking down and you know that that old visit, that appointment with death, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And you say, man, I don't want to think about it. Oh, listen, we have, we don't have to fear death as they once did. You say, why? Because God has brought life and immortality to light. In other words, eternal life and immortality, living forever, it's been brought to light. In other words, God has revealed it. You say, how has it been brought to light? Oh, it's been brought to light through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the men in our church was recently witnessing to a man and trying to get him to think about his, his death and think about what happens next. And that old man looked at him and he said, oh, I don't want to talk about that. He goes, nobody knows what death, what happens at death. Nobody knows what happened. He says, why do you think that? He said, because nobody's ever died and lived to tell about it. And my friend told him, he said, oh, you're wrong. That's exactly what the gospel is. A man did die. A man did taste death for every man. And he went down under death. He disappeared into the grave. But blessed be his wonderful name. Three days later, he walked out. And he says, hey, I have the keys of death. And I have the keys of the grave. You don't have to fear that anymore. I've taken the stinger out of death. You say, where do you get that? I get that promise out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great chapter on resurrection and the fact that born again believers, those that know the Lord Jesus Christ, are going to come up from the dead one day. Well, that Bible says this. When our resurrection time comes and this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, it says, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. How did we get the victory? Let's keep reading. I'm in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. It says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? It says, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. What victory? The victory over death. The victory over the grave. How does God give us this victory? Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
How do we get victory through him? Well, it's real simple. When you come to him, listen, he's a living savior. He is seated today at the right hand of God the Father. He now appears in the presence of God for us. That's what he does. He ever liveth to make intercession for those that come unto God by him. Listen, my friend, if you want eternal life, you must come to the man who is eternal life. And this is eternal life, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life, 1 John 5, 20 says. You see, they killed the prince of life. They crucified him. And he submitted himself and uh, submitted himself to death and he died. But three days later, he rose from the dead and he says, hey, follow me. I'll take the sting out of death. Listen, it's just like you hear about those old uh, honeybees, I think it is. If you get a honeybee, boy, they got a stinger and it hurts. But if they put their stinger in one person, when they pull away from the, burying that stinger, that stinger tears off. And now all they can do is buzz around. The old story is told of a daddy that was driving down the road with his kids in the back during a, uh, the windows were down. It was during hot during the summer and a honeybee got in there and got to buzzing around. The kids were screaming. They didn't want to get uh, stung. And the dad was able to reach up and cup his hand when that bee uh, landed. And he put his hand around that bee. And that bee, sure enough, just buried that stinger in his palm. And the bee pretty soon got out and was buzzing around the car again. The kids started screaming. They started hollering and ducking and diving and dodging. The dad said, hey, hey, it's okay. He said, that bee can't sting you. I've done taking the sting out of him. His stinger's in my palm. He said, all he can do now is buzz a lot. And you know something? That's a great picture. You say, what's the picture? The picture is Jesus Christ coming down here, becoming one of us and taking upon himself flesh and suffering and dying as our representative, taking the curse upon him. He was cursed for us on that tree. He became a curse for us. He became sin for us. And then he allowed death to come and he dismissed his spirit and his soul departed and he tasted death for every man. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ defeated death and he came up from the dead three days later. And now he offers eternal life. And he offers, he said, listen, I've done taking death by the throat. And I have destroyed death. I've taken the sting out of death. Because the fear of the unknown of what's going to happen to me when I die. Friends, you don't have to die like that. You don't have to die in darkness and fear. Listen, you can come to the light now. You can receive the Lord Jesus Christ who tasted death for every man. And that Bible says that God, listen to these words, Second Timothy chapter 1, I'm in verses 9 and 10, talking about death and how we don't have to fear it because it's a defeated enemy. Jesus Christ has destroyed the works of the devil. He has destroyed and taken the fear factor out of death to those of us who know him. And the Bible says that God hath saved us. It says here in 2 Timothy 1, 9, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. God has a purpose for saving you, and we are saved by his good grace. You say, what's the purpose? The purpose is to make us more like Jesus Christ and to conform us to his image. That was God's purpose. And it says this purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God had this all in place. When he foresaw, he didn't predestinate man's fall, but he did, amen, make a way. When he uh, foresaw Adam sinning, he, amen, made a way for the human race to overcome this death sentence and to be saved by his marvelous grace. And this salvation is always found in Christ Jesus. So listen, this grace and this purpose was given to us 
in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now watch verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath, listen, abolished death. You see, when Jesus Christ died, he did something by coming up from the dead. He has abolished death. He has destroyed it. You say, what's abolished mean? Oh, it means to repeal or to destroy the death sentence. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for humanity. And the Bible says that he hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You say, what is the gospel? Well, sinner friend, you're, if you're unsaved, your sins are going to raise up and testify against you. It's going to be, your law breaking is going to be used as evidenced. Uh, in the courtroom at the great white throne judgment when all stand before God in the last day and give an account. And listen, you're condemned. You have the death sentence upon you. But if you'll recognize that now while you have breath in your lung, do you understand that you're going to be found guilty? Do you feel your guilt now? Then why not bow the knee and turn to God and call upon the one who died and tasted death for every man and cried out, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Listen, three days later, he rose from the dead. That's the good news. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. He has taken the stinger out of death. You no longer have to fear death. Death is a defeated foe. Jesus Christ is eternal life. And if you want eternal life, you must get it from him. Amen and amen. Our first parents plucked fruit off a tree that brought the death sentence in. Well, there's another tree that offers life. And that is the tree at Calvary where our blessed Savior, our substitute, died for our sins and rose again three days later. Will you trust him today as your Savior? Blessed be his wonderful name who tasted death for every man and now offers a free pardon of sins by grace through faith in the blood of his cross. May God help you to understand this and to trust Jesus Christ today and get victory over death that's coming. May God help you to understand and believe.